2: Welcome to the table where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Darrell Bach, Executive Director Cultural Engagement at Dallas Theological Seminary and the Hendricks Center there. And my guest today is Eric Chabot, who works with Roccio Christi uh, on the Ohio State University campus. It's the Ohio State University, is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, I went to the University of Texas, so when everybody's a the, then we got an issue. But anyway, um, it's a real pleasure to have you. Uh, Eric uh, is involved with what is a new ministry as well as having associations with with another ministry out of Texas, so I'm going to let him talk about that combination and what he does on campus. So first talk to us about uh, Ratio Christi and, and what uh, what that organization is all about.
0: Okay. Well, it's great to be here. Um, Ratio Christi really means reason for Christ. That's that's what that ministry means. And around 2009, there was a, a gentleman down in North Carolina who saw it saw the need to really start a ministry down there on a campus, uh, basically with an apologetics focus. And really, Ratio Christi is a nationwide ministry. And so when this gentleman started that down in uh, in uh, North Carolina in 2008 or nine, His name is Randy Hardman. He went on to do some grad work under Craig Keener. But uh, we just basically, it kind of snowballed from there. We decided that campuses across the country needed more of a apologetics focus and a lot of the atheist literature was coming out. We were seeing a lot of students being impacted by that. And so basically Rasha Christie helps students. Be more equipped in their faith to share their faith confidently. Know what they believe. Know why they believe it. And we are now up uh, to over like 120 chapters uh, nationwide. Have some overseas too. So it really, just kind of snowballed from there. You know, once the one chapter was started down in North Carolina, and then I started the fourth chapter here at a high state, the high the high state university. There you go. <laughs> I get corrected all the time. In 2009. So we're definitely, a uh, ministry has an apologetics focus, and that's what we do on the campus.
2: Now, uh, North Carolina, was this North Carolina Chapel Hill where this started?
0: No, uh, Randy started that chapter down in Boone. Uh, huh. Yeah, that's where he was. And then we uh, we were associated a little bit with SCS Seminary, Southern Evangelical Seminary. Mm-hmm. They're, of course, out of Charlotte. Right. And they, they're very apologetics focused. Uh, have an apologetics focus, so they kind of came on board and helped some other chapters start North Carolina. After that one, now we have one at the campus you just mentioned. There, the other North Carolina uh, chapters or campuses. Yeah, that
2: small North Carolina school. Right,
0: right. <laughs> it all started down there, down south, and uh-huh. we've kind of gone out from there.
2: So, uh, so how, one, how do students connect with you guys, and then what's what what do you do in terms of ministry, in terms of your general approach?
0: Yeah, well, the one thing I tell people is that Ratio Christi, we're, we're not just basic Bible studies. As you know, campuses have a lot of Bible studies. What we do is we have weekly meetings where we will tackle some of the big objections on the campus or in the culture, of course, such as God's existence or you know the reliability of the Bible or other topics. And then what we also do is that we bring in speakers. We will have apologetic speakers come to the campus and do lectures. We might do debates. I've had uh, certain uh, debates. I had Michael Brown debate by Ehrman. I've had Frank Turk twice to the campus. I've had William Lane Craig. I've had Mike Lacona. We've had a lot of speakers come in that really lecture on the top apologetic uh, topics of our culture. So we try to keep an environment on the campus that is favorable to uh, Christianity and also show that Christianity can answer you know, the, the questions of life, that you know, has intellectual viability. And so then I now I personally also do a lot of evangelism on the campus where I go out and talk to students and I bring students with me from the Rasha Christie chapter where we engage you know people on the campus and gets kind of their feet wet in that area. So is, what,
2: this is this once a week that you guys meet or they're scheduled to meet or how does that work?
0: Yes, we have once a week meetings and we're on a, we're in a classroom we rent out a classroom we're a student organization. all the Rasha Christie chapters are actually, student organizations fully registered on the campus, too, uh, and then we can take advantage of the classrooms to meet in. So, yes, we do meet once a week.
2: Okay, and then the other ministry that you're associated with, what is that?
0: Well, uh, that's called CGF Ministries, and it was formerly called the Christian Jew Foundation, and that was a started by Charles Howe back in the late 60s. He was a Jewish uh, person that came to faith in Jesus, and I have a, a strong background in uh, reaching Jewish people for the faith, because I came to faith. Actually, they're hearing the gospel through a Jewish believer. Even though I'm not Jewish, I was raised in a Jewish community, hmm. and I knew a lot about Jewish people. So God seemed to always have my uh, life, uh, you know, the calling of my life seems to always be centered around Jewish people. Now, at a Ohio State, high State is 5,000 Jewish people, and that's a pretty large amount. Is that
2: 10% and, of the total, or thereabouts? Right. Yeah.
0: yeah, and uh, so every time I've done outreach on the campus, we have always tried to have a focus on you know reaching the Jewish community, as I said, I brought Michael in. I've had him do a lecture as well on Jesus' messiahship. So you know we we've done a we've done some outreach events there to uh, reach out to the Jewish communities.
2: Well. So that's Michael Brown, who uh, right. who we've had on the table and who also just wrote uh, the response to the Newsweek Bible article that was produced uh, uh, on Christmas uh, 2014. They, that's just come out and has just been a part of the discussion. Uh, about the nature of scripture in the public square, and I take it that kind of discussion and those kinds of issues are precisely the kinds of things that you all interact with on a regular basis.
0: That's right. I mean, we are trying to tackle the you know the cultural objections that are out there all the time, the misinformation on the internet and a lot of things that people are picking up online and just everywhere. And as you know, it never ends. So we're constantly working in this area. So that's exactly what we do.
2: Yeah, and between Christmas and Easter, you're real busy, and then everybody takes a breath, and we go through the cycle again. The next Christmas and the next Easter. That's right. Yeah. Now, uh, okay. So let's talk about the kinds <laughs> of issues that you all uh, deal with. You you mentioned a couple of them already. Uh, the existence of God. I, I suspect if you had Mike Lacona in, he's talking about some of the issues, particularly tied to the Gospels in the New Testament. Um uh what are the what are the issues that issues that you regard as well I'll just go ahead and ask the what was our first general question when we're talking about university campuses what do you see as the largest intellectual challenges on on the Ohio State campus
0: I would say that uh The two most pressing issues, one of them has to do with a book you wrote called Truth Matters, Mm -hmm. and I am seeing just an overload of people on college campuses that don't seem to see what objective truth is, nor do they see it as relevant. And so when we're sharing the gospel with people on college campuses, the responses I'm getting are kind of like, well, uh, I don't feel it's true, so I don't really think it matters, or does it work for me? You know, it doesn't work for me, so Christianity is not relevant. A very what we call a pragmatic view of truth. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing that everywhere I go. Now, I even had an atheist tell me once. He said, "Look, Eric, I don't care if Christianity's true. If this is a positive thing in your life, it makes a difference, and so be it. That's a good thing." See, so he didn't even care if it was true. Uh-huh. So I'm seeing uh, the issue of truth as an intellectual problem, and then also God's existence. Um, I think what I see is that students do not know how to think about God. What I mean by that is they don't know how to approach the existence of God. For example, what method do I take to find God? Do I take an historical approach? Do I look into history? Do I take an empirical approach? Do I take an experiential approach? Do I take a pragmatic approach? I mean, students just don't know how to think in that area, and so you're kind of always starting from scratch with them. And, of course, the, um, the science thing... Yes, that's still an issue. Students think science rules as far as it's the only way to know, you know, have knowledge. That's obviously always out there. But I find generally that just a lot of students are not seeing the urgency of, you know, why Christianity, if it's true, as I tell students, look, if Jesus rose 2,000 years ago, it's still true, even if you don't feel it right now, even if you don't think it's relevant, you know, and uh, I'm dealing a lot with the issue of objective truth and then how do you approach existence of god yeah the, That's way, the most pressing issue
2: the way i like to say it is is that uh, we've gone from a culture where the bible is the answer to the bible becoming part of the question and of course behind that is if you say the bible is the word of god you've got to know that god exists in order for him to speak so right so you're starting kind of at ground zero uh, here here's an interesting <laughs> element of this conversation i think because it's one of the ways in which the ancient world and the modern world differ to a, a significant degree in the ancient world, um, the societies were very religious. There was a belief about gods and divine activity of one sort or another uh, all around. Now, one can discuss what the Greco-Roman world is like, but but still, the idea of there being a transcendent and transcendent forces to deal with was kind of a given. I'd like to tell audiences when I speak to them that, that uh, you know, the Greco-Roman calendar had 150 religious holidays every year, which is, I mean, that's one every three days. And I tell people, we ought to get that calendar. That would be a good deal. Uh, but uh, the point is, is that there was a lot of religious activity, a lot of belief in religious activity. Whereas in the modern world, you almost have to build your way there. Because the starting point in scripture, assuming that everyone shares some sense of there's something else out there, um, is the idea that there's there's a creator, at least the possibility of a creator, and we're creatures accountable to to that creator, and we don't have anything quite like that operating for us today. We almost have to get there. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, I'd say that's about right. It, it just seems like you almost have to start from ground zero with people anymore, and. Like I said, the biggest issue I'm dealing with these days is the issue of pragmatism. And mm-hmm. that is a theory, you know, put out by William James many years ago, that religion is true if it works for you, it makes a difference in your life. You know, that's kind of what makes it true. That's the test for truth. Now, that's kind of gone away from the classical view in Christianity, that truth is what corresponds to reality. Right. Whereas you make, you make a claim, and this is what corresponds to the actual world. Like, if we say Jesus rose from the dead, this actually has to match up with reality. And... So that's the one of the biggest issues I see is this issue of pragmatism. I think our culture is built on pragmatism, as you know. We get college degrees, we get a job that works for us, it makes us money. So pragmatism is really impacting the way people think. And if they don't see Christianity as making a difference, or it's relevant, or it works for them, they kind of just scrap it, you know, in a lot of ways. And then you got to start from ground zero with them about going back to truth. So I agree, but with all with everything you're saying, you have to start start from ground zero.
2: Yeah. Now, um, the, one of the tricky things I think about pragmatism, and, and one of the reasons I think pragmatism exists, is that in our history, dealing with religion and the issue of religion has always been a very controversial kind of subject. I mean, anyone who understands the Enlightenment project knows that the Enlightenment, in part, was a reaction to, to many of the religious wars that took place in Europe that devastated Europe for several centuries before we um, got to the Enlightenment. And so the advantage of pragmatism from a pragmatic point of view is I say, um, well if that works for you that's great, I'm not going to put your religion down, I'm going to give you the room to, to live your life the way you want, but give me the freedom to live and enjoy the life that I have in the way that I can. And uh, and as long as we don't you know create conflict for one another, then we're in great shape. And and so it's almost a a, it's not quite a hands off approach, but almost a hands off approach to religion. Uh, You know, you can it's like a bazaar. You can choose to pick and use it if it works. But if not, if you you know bypass that particular helping in the cafeteria, then you're you're okay. Um, That kind of the attitude that comes with this conversation.
0: Yeah, I think that part of the issue is I think that students are looking around the world, seeing real serious problems in the world. As you know, we have a lot of problems, and Mm -hmm. I think they're saying, what solutions are out there for this? What can I grab onto that really might make a practical difference in this area? And so I think that's the first question they're asking. Does Christianity make a practical difference? Is this going to help me with my future? Is it going to help me get a job? Is this going to help me with a family? Is this going to help me here and there? And of course, we have this thinking in the church. You know, mm-hmm. it's in the church as well. A lot of Christians think this way as well. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of modernism. I mean, I still see students that are very, you know, kind of have the scientific mindset and everything has to be proven, you know, empirically. There's still a lot of students like that. But I'm also seeing the uh, the pragmatism as well, so it's kind of a mixed bag.
2: So, you know, kind of- are yeah. you seeing the pragmatism as a, even though it emerged very early? I mean, William James, the beginning of the last century. Um, uh, are you seeing pragmatism being wedded to the kind of the postmodern stepping back from the issue of truth, and those yeah. two working in combination?
0: Yeah, I would say so. Like, for example, I was on a panel last week. I did an interfaith panel. Someone asked me to do it, and that's the first one I ever did. And I was on it with a Buddhist uh, rabbi and a more uh, Muslim and then a Baha'i person, Baha'i person, I'm sorry, speaker. And, you know, I listened to them speak. I was the last person up, you know, giving the Christian view on peace in the world. And I noticed that none of them talked about truth. None of them talked about our differences, that we, you know, believe in different things. And it came across me listening to them that I think they all kind of viewed religion more in a pragmatic, kind of practical way. And that's how we can all get along in the world, right? Mm-hmm. If we just have a practical outcome of our faith. I was the only one that mentioned that, you know, we have to admit the fact that we, we make different truth claims, but we can agree to disagree on some things, you know, and I— it was kind of quiet in there, I noticed as I was saying this. I I mean, <laughs> you had to look like,
2: up truth in the dictionary.
0: <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was the oddball, but I, as the apologist organization on the campus, I felt like I needed to address it, and I felt like God gave me the platform, so I wasn't going to let it go by the wayside. And I was very kind with it. You know, it was gentle, mm-hmm. you know, but I just had to bring it up. So, yeah, I think pragmatism has just come out of, I think what I see is the issues of the world today, and people are seeing a lot of problems And they're trying to figure out what difference does our faith make in these issues. That's why the social justice movement, you know, is very big. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, people like to latch on to, you know, those kinds of things as well. Yeah. Uh,
2: So, so where does that leave you in terms of? uh, I mean, you're trying to introduce students to truth. How do you get over the hurdle of 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 the pragmatism?
0: Well, it's very what I this is probably what goes on in 90% of my conversations after I've explained the gospel or answered some of their objections. I generally find myself saying this almost every time. Let's take let's I'll give you an example. Let's say you're a student now, listen, Daryl. What if Christianity is really true? Would you agree with me if this is really true? This impacts your life now, like if Jesus came into this world 2,000 years ago and he rose from the dead, and this actually happened in time, space, and history. Would you not agree that this would make a difference in your life right now if it's really true, right? So I get them to think about truth. I get them to point to admit to me, yeah, this matters. If it's really true, it's true. And they actually most of the time will admit to me, you know what? This could be true, and I really need to think about this. So I don't let them off the hook. I just try to bring them back around always to say, to bring them to the urgency of the question whether it's really true. If this is true, this does impact your life. And get to admit, yes, it does matter if it's true. Now they may say, "I'm not sure if it's true," but I, I have to admit the fact that this very well could be true. Yeah. So that's what I find myself doing most of my conversations, almost
2: all the time. So, so it's really getting them to grapple with the nature of the claim that's being made on their lives by God in many ways, uh, right? And, and coming to grips with that—that that if a God exists. If you are the creature, he's the creator, and he's designed you for a relationship with him, then probably checking in is not a bad idea. Exactly. Yeah.
1: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
2: Um, okay, well that helps. What about, what about issues, what about tone? Uh, you know, we've, we've, done a, we've gone through a period of a lot of uh, battles and culture wars, and there certainly are differences of opinion when you're talking about truth. So how do you guys handle tone, and what do you tell your students about tone as you engage?
0: Oh well, I tell them that uh, I think the you know kind of like the apologetics uh, text you know everybody uses the First Peter three fifteen sixteen. Of course, they take it out of context most of the time, <laughs> but you know it does talk about you know giving a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence and uh, gentleness you know and respect. Mm-hmm. So I try to tell them that the hallmark of doing Christian apologetics is one of you need to be humble. You can be you can be truthful, but also you need to be humble. You need to have the right attitude. And our tone needs to be one of humility. Uh, you know, that we don't want to come across as the, uh, you know, we obviously don't want to be arrogant, but we can still speak the four truth with love and just be gentle. So that's kind of the text I really try to hammer home with them. You know, you want to be gentle with people. People are very sensitive these days. Uh, it seems to be more and more. <laughs> you mm-hmm. say the wrong thing, they get awfully get awfully mad. So I just tell them tone needs to be humble and gracious, and let your speech be seasoned with grace and salt. And uh, you know So it's but it's a work in progress. You know about how we handle it.
2: Another practical question that comes out of this that relates to the tone issue is is that you know sometimes what happens, of course, when you discuss the truth and you have a difference of opinion is you can get locked into a debate. Okay, yeah. uh, and and then the goal becomes to win the debate. Uh, but in a, what I'm get, sensing from you just talking about this is, is that what your goal is really to get them to have a conversation, to get them to reflect on where they are and kind of draw them into the issues as opposed to to being uh, conf- mostly confrontive. Is that is that a fair distinction to make?
0: Yes. I, I would say the goal is always to have a conversation. And what I'm noticing more and more on campuses and students at Ohio State is that Today's college campuses, you have to work generally uh, a job, maybe a couple internships, you know, you're going to school full-time. These students are so busy, Mm -hmm. so busy, and I'm trying to get them to slow down for 10 minutes and reflect on the issue of God and how that impacts their life. So yes, it is a goal of conversation. Now, the goal is a conversation, but I will say my experience shows me that over time, if you're talking to a person, then they start asking questions, it can get a little confrontational sometimes if they're they you know, if if it starts going on and on for an hour or more and they have a lot of objections. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean confrontational necessarily in a negative way. I mean just that, you know, they may just be have some really good objections and you're you start going back and forth before you know it. Some, if someone's listening in, this kind of sounds like a debate. No, I didn't I didn't want to turn it into a debate, mm-hmm. but sometimes it just may go in that direction, but uh, I've never had anybody that's been, you know, where it's been like a uh, you know, a terrible
2: situation, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a
0: friendly, I call it a friendly debate. Yeah, about,
2: you know that you're in disagreement and you're trying to sort it out or or that or, or that there's a difference of opinion or that there are questions <laughs> being raised that need to be sorted through.
0: Right, exactly. And so my goal when I talk to people, I tell students the goal is to obviously share the gospel, try to answer their objections to the best of their ability, remove any obstacles you can to get them from prevent them from coming to the gospel. And if you've done that to the best of your ability in in the presence of God, then you've done your part, and that's all you can do. You leave the results to the Lord.
2: So, so pragmatism and kind of, it's an interesting mix. Pragmatism on the one hand, and wrestling whether there is truth, and then this kind of. Uh, scientific thing floating underneath those are the those are the two large challenges do you have uh, any you know many campuses have what are called faith buster classes or things like that um, where there are specific classes on campus that really do go after Christianity pretty hard and have and have a reputation for doing so do you have anything like that at Ohio State?
0: I don't think we have any faithbuster classes. I mean, we have the the atheist organization here, of course. They're always around, and we've had interaction with them over the years. They're a little they're a little quiet right now, but we did a couple student debates with them a few years back. Uh, but I don't think we have any faithbusters classes. I would say the antagonism or you know obstacles of Christianity on the campus come in the biology classes where. Professors are openly putting down, you know, theories like intelligent design, or you know, of course, they say creationism. That's another topic. That happens a lot. Um, but I don't really, uh, I don't can't think of anything else. Now, I'll tell you this: the New Testament, early Christianity class they teach here, they use Bart's book, Bart Ehrman's book on Introduction to Christianity, and that has. I've had two students that come to my meetings because they're in that class and they don't know how to answer those things, and they've been showing up at our meetings. Yeah. So that that's been an issue, um, but I don't know any faith buster classes. I would say the obstacles more come from the atheist group if they want to do something like they have like a lecture. You know, I've been to two Jesus or lectures. You know, where they try to say Jesus didn't exist. Those kinds of things are on the campus, more or less.
2: So, so, so the campus sounds like it's more like a uh, an open bazaar of ideas, as opposed <laughs> to being particularly a hostile environment uh, per se. Uh,
0: I would say it's a mix. I would say that it is an open. Uh, it's a smorgasbord of beliefs. You have people from all different backgrounds, different religions. You have a lot of atheism. You have a lot of different religions. But uh, I would say. there's some opposition to Christianity, but I wouldn't say that it's just like, you know, everywhere I go. But I mean, there's certainly, it's certainly out there. I mean, I've been, of course, I've been, you know, some people said some things to me over the years on the campus, you know, I've been out a few negative things with, I can't repeat. So yeah, there's opposition, but I would say that it's, uh, it's mostly in, in different arenas, but it's not like ridiculous, like every day I go out, someone's, Doing something to put down the Christian faith right in front of me. Would,
2: but, it, uh, would it be fair to say that the opposition that comes to Christianity is part of the environment of just uh, uh, skepticism about religion in general, or is it Christianity specific in any way?
0: I think it's skepticism in general. I I think that, uh, I think with the impact of postmodernism and just skepticism, I think a lot of people just, and cynicism, by the way, Mm -hmm. cynicism as well. I think a lot of people just don't know how to think about God and they're generally skeptical of knowing anything, uh, with any kind of certainty. And then the issue of God is the problem because, you know, you can't see God directly. And Mm -hmm. so they assume if you can't see God directly, it's blind faith and then you got to go through the whole issue of, you know, clarifying what it means to say God exists, and you have to come up with a method of approaching God's existence. So I, I think the number one issue is people don't know how to think about God, and that's something that, uh, that churches haven't done a great job in equipping Christians on as they go into the campus, and then the culture in general. What class do you go to on a college campus that teaches you how to think about God other than maybe philosophy of religion? That's maybe about it, if you take a class on that. Otherwise, it's just there's nothing there for students to take, and they just don't know how to approach it.
2: And as you say, churches don't really help students get there either. So you're kind of they walk into these conversations very um, ill-equipped to have them in many ways. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so you guys exist to kind of plug that gap. Yeah. Exactly. We. I found about two
0: thousand nine was when the atheist literature was getting more prominent, uh, or, you know, around some of the time those writings are coming out. Now it's kinda maybe died down a little bit. I, I don't you know, it's still out there but not as much as the, it was the height of you know, the bit the you know, the culture it was all over the place about two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And I was seeing a lot of students reading that stuff. I the president of the atheist group at that time became an atheist because he read Richard Dawkins' book on the God delusion. He was raised Christian, and he left the faith over that. I saw other students you know, becoming skeptics or atheists by reading those, those works. So that's why a lot of us are like, we need something on a campus. We need a presence to deal with this stuff. And I've noticed that probably over the last – I've been on the campus for 10 years. A lot of the objections are still the same every year, same kind of objections over and over. But uh, I would say that I just see a lot of students that don't know – of an outlet a place they can go to to get their objections dealt with they need to know that there is a place and that's what we try to do
2: well without giving the house away so someone comes to you and and you're trying to push them to deal with the existence of god how do you build that bridge what what kinds of things are you saying to them
0: well if If they come to me, the first question is, I ask, are they really seeking? You know, I ask them, are you really, do you care if God exists? Is this something that you're thinking about? Is this something that impacts you? I mean, or is this something you're kind of like, just apathetic about? You know, some people are like, well, maybe God exists, maybe he doesn't. I don't care. I'm busy. But if they are truly seeking, then I start to talk to them about, you know, how do we approach the existence of God? And then here's what I say. Look, if God exists, would it make sense that he would speak somewhere in history somewhere to reveal himself to humanity, that he would want to show up and show what he has for us. And then that builds a bridge to talk about Christ, to talk about the resurrection, talk about the work of Jesus. You know, I create a plausibility factor with them. Mm -hmm. And then I talk about the world of nature. I say, look, do you think that God has revealed himself maybe in the natural world? And some of the features we see in the biological realm, like our DNA or you know, the information code in our systems or you know, I just try to get them to think about how we approach the existence of God. But ultimately my best argument, apologetically, is a historical thing. I try to get them to the person of Christ, to consider that as a plausible, you know, and ultimately that's the best argument. I'm trying to get them to, you know, to reach that place. Because ultimately I gotta get them I gotta get them to there. That's the goal.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it it's it's an interesting uh it's an interesting challenge to get people to think about uh the way in which um really our world is ordered. Um right. and and seems to have structure, seems to make sense, it doesn't you know, it it, it, it there's a regularness uh, to existence that is pretty stable in many ways. Um and it and it doesn't look like it could just, you know, happen by accident.
0: Right. Well, you know, uh, my friend Frank Turk has a new book out, which it's called uh, How Atheism Borrows from God. I think it's called How Atheism Has to Borrow from God. And one of the things I tell students is that, you know, you have features of reality all around you that you see every day you take for granted. And then I say, what explains this better, Christianity or theism or atheism? You know, we have rational beings, right? We're able to make inferences. We have the laws of logic, uh, we have more obligations every day you know, that we take for granted. We, we're, we're morally obligated to treat people certain ways or do this or do that. We have uh, the law of causality that impacts science. We, have, we just have features of reality every day all around us you take for granted. Then I ask them what makes sense of that and whether atheism can't account for those things or, or no God. Does, you know, what, does it make more sense? There's a God that's built these things into reality. That's the approach Frank's kind of taking in his book. And that's the approach I kind of take with students as well, just to get them to think about that.
2: Well, tell people a little bit about Frank, because these are good resources that you're mentioning.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah. Frank Turk uh, has written a book called I Don't Have Faith to Be an Atheist with Norm Geisler. It came out several years ago. He's just written a new book called How Atheists Steal from God. Uh, It's called Stealing from God. I think that's the exact title of the book. Uh, It just came out last month. And I've had him. Uh, Frank to the campus a couple times. And I've noticed that when I promote an event called, I don't have faith to be an atheist. Oh my goodness. Does that draw up a lot of interest on a college campus? Hmm. Uh, yeah, when I, it's so fun to promote that event. I didn't come up with the title. Of course, Frank had normed it, but I think it's a fantastic title for an event because whenever I go out with the posters or the flyers, students automatically come up to me and they're like, wait a minute. What? I don't get it. What do you mean? I don't have faith. I'm an atheist. You have faith. And it just kind of draws them in. And we've generally had pretty good turnouts for uh, for both of those events. Now, Frank, of course, has been doing that presentation over and over on campuses for years. Now he's going to be you know, promoting this new book. So it's a really good resource. I think it's a very good introduction just to think about Christianity. It's not advanced, but it's just a, a good intro. I now, think, for students to read.
2: Now, what's Fra- what's Frank's ministry? Where does he where does he serve? Uh,
0: he's at crossexamine.org. If you go to his website, mm-hmm. uh, it's called Crossexamine, and that's, you can find all his resources on there. Like I said, we also had Dr. William Lane Craig come. He did a lecture on the existence of God. Uh, he gave seven reasons for the existence of God. That was pretty interesting. I got to see uh, – we had a pretty good turnout for that. We had about six 700 people. Um, then we had, of course, like I said, we had Mike Lacona, who lectured on the resurrection of Jesus. That's his specialty. Go to risenjesus.org. So, you know, we're trying to put ideas out there, things that students can come and hear. This is the way I, I tell people. This may be their only opportunity out of the four years they're on a college campus to hear a presentation on the truthfulness of the Christian claim. This may be it. Out of their entire four years, they'll ever hear something. It may stay with them for the rest of their life. And so that's the way I look at it. As far as when you have a speaker come in and do something like that, that's the importance of
2: it. Now, just to just so people can know who people are, William Lane Craig teaches out at, uh, at Talbot Biola. Uh, he's been doing a philosophy, religion, and historiographical work, and apologetics for a long time, has a a philosophy and New Testament background. Uh, Mike Lacona is at Houston Baptist uh, and does the same kinds of things for them. Uh, Both have written extensively of a variety of works that walk into various of these areas. So if we're thinking about resources that parents or church leaders can get their hands around, um, those are three uh, very good names uh, for resources, correct?
0: Yes, I think those are good. They all have introductory works you can get online. Just go to their websites. Uh, Dr. Craig's website is reasonablefaith.org. You can go to Amazon, look at his books. Of course, Mike's books are on Amazon as well on his website. I also think that uh, as far as introductory works, I think, you know, obviously Lee Strobel's stuff is a good introductory. All his books, Lee Strobel wrote The Case for Christ, The Case for Creator, The Case for Faith, Case for the Real Jesus. So uh, I think those are all good resources. He has DVDs. Go to Lee Strobel's websites. The thing I'm encouraged about is the church has more than enough resources today to to take hold of. You know, you've put out works as well. You know, the some of the stuff you've done on the historical Jesus, some of those works are all excellent. Uh, so I... The way I see it is there's more enough material out there. It's just the fact that Christians just need to get a hold of it and, you know, try to absorb it, you know, and work work with the material we are putting out there for the church. So I'm encouraged by what we got.
1: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Join us next week for part two. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.